Come on, look at somebody and say, get ready. Turn to him and say, it's going to be tight, but it's going to be right. Amen. Are you, are you ready? Buckle up. Here we go. We are in a series entitled, What to Do When. And before we kind of get into the message today, I want to do something a little bit different. And I wanted to kind of unpack a story about a guy by the name of Dave. Okay. Dave is this amazing guy fascinating life, did some extraordinary things, but Dave actually had a very simple beginning. He had a simple family. He grew up on a farm. Certainly nothing wrong with a farm. Come on, how many of you guys know anything about some farm work in the house? Like three of you. See, that's where our generation's going. But anyway, farm guy, grew up on a farm, had eight brothers. Well, Dave actually made the decision early in his life that, you know what, I'm going to follow God with everything I've got. I'm going to give God everything I've got. And so he did that. And so he was constantly praying. He was constantly in the Word. He was even writing poems and, and, and different things like that to God. And so everybody around him knew. Thank you, ma'am. Everybody around him knew that Dave was... In love with God. He loved God. He served God. He worshiped God. And everybody knew this. Dave at a young age would eventually go off into the military. He joined the military. Man, he did some amazing things there. So much so that he became a national hero. I mean, Dave was just all that and a bag of chips. Okay? Not only that, but Dave would go into politics. And his life really skyrocketed. Everything was going well. He was highly respected. He was at the top of his game. Life could not be any better for this guy until late one night, a married woman slipped into his house and did not leave until the next morning. Surprisingly, this lady wound up pregnant, and Dave was able to cover it all up, hide it. Nobody knew about it until his best friend, Nate, found out about it. So Nate knew what was going on. Nate knew the whole story. So let's kind of pause right there and let me ask you this. If you're Nate, what do you do? What do you do? You know what went on. You know what's happening. This is your best friend. What do you do? What do you say? I mean, what do you do with that kind of information? Do you tell anyone? Do you confront him? What do you do... See, the fact of the matter is, this story of Dave and Nate is actually a real story, and it took place in the Bible. Dave was actually King David, who had an affair with a lady by the name of Bathsheba. She winds up pregnant. David actually carries this a little further, has her husband killed, covers it all up. Nate is actually Nathan, who is God's prophet for the nation of Israel. Which opens up our subject today. What do you do when someone you love makes a bad decision. What do you do in that moment? And, and, and listen, guys, we're not talking about some little stuff here. We're not talking about that, you know, you saw, you saw Johnny steal Billy's grape. I mean, you know, you're not talking about that. We're talking about life-altering decisions. We're talking about things that could have implications way into the future. And listen, we may not be talking about an extramarital affair, but it could be. It also could be maybe you know someone, friend, family, whatever, and maybe they're cheating at their job. Maybe they're falsifying some time.
time. Maybe they're not really giving it their all. Maybe they did something and you're called to the carpet to say, hey, did you realize what was going on? It could be that scenario. It could be maybe you've got a friend that has a critical spirit about them and they're hurting people. It could be someone that is insensitive or abusive to their spouse and you know about it. It could be someone who's just got an explosive temper. You know, and and it's not getting any better, but it just continues to get worse and worse and worse. It could be that you know someone addicted to alcohol or drugs, and it's killing them. And it's a train wreck waiting to happen, and you can physically see this happening. What do you do? What do we do in those moments? Because the fact of the matter is this. All of us have found ourselves in those situations. We've all found ourselves with this, with this scenario unfolding in our lives. And so what do you do? Oftentimes nothing. We don't do anything. We don't say anything. I mean, who am I to say something? Who am I to confront that? Who am I? I mean, my life isn't perfect either. I mean, who, who am I to do that? So, so, And listen, those are natural responses to all of that. So let's just admit up front, if we could, and just be honest today, this is not an easy question. But the good news is, is that the Bible addresses this for us and kind of lays out a plan, if you will, on how we are to confront someone we love when they make bad decisions. And so with that, I just simply have two goals today. Two goals today, and these two goals are centered around two words. It's the word why and the word how. Why and how? So let's, let's start with why first. Why should I get involved? I mean, what, what do I need to confront somebody? They're my friend. They know what they did. I, I don't know. Why should I get involved? And so let me just give you three reasons why you need to get involved. Here's the first one. Number one is this, because Jesus modeled it. Because Jesus modeled it. Two words that embody the person of Jesus Christ are just simply this, grace and truth. Come on, repeat that with me. Grace and truth. These are two words that embody Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 17 says this, The law was given through Moses, but what? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So when you study the life of Jesus Christ, when you study the Gospels, and if, if you're kind of new to Bible, the Gospels is in the New Testament. It's the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you study the life of Jesus in that, you'll find that Jesus was not afraid to tell the truth. Jesus was not afraid to confront hypocrisy. He was not afraid to rebuke sin. I mean, He even told the Pharisees, He said, you guys are a group of snakes. Come on, I don't recommend you go to your friend and say, Brother, you're just a snake. I don't recommend that. But Jesus didn't mind doing that. He said, you're blind fools. I mean, he didn't mind confronting sin, but he was just as quick to offer grace. You remember the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? And it's funny because they only brought the woman. Like, where's the guy? I don't know. If you're a woman, that should tick you off. But I'm just saying, you know, they brought the woman, they threw her down, stoner, killer. And what did Jesus say? Jesus says, hey guys, whichever one of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he looks at this woman who, yes, she was wrong. He looks at her and he offers grace and he says, hey, go and sin no more. So 
the, the fact of the matter is that the character of God is seen in both of these. He's loving, accepting, willing to forgive. He's patient. He's gracious to us. But at the same time, He's holy, just, and righteous. And so He comes to us in both grace and truth. And really, kind of an illustration, if you will, to demonstrate this is, is a playground. Come on, how many of you ever been to a playground and you got a playground there. Come on, how many of you are excited when you were a kid to go to that kind of a playground? Come on, like when I was a kid, the only thing they had was one slide, and it was metal, and the sun beat it on it. Come on, and you had to slide down it. Can any adult just thank you for agreeing with me right there? This is a cool playground. You know what makes this playground even better than just looking at it is the fence around it. The fence around it. A playground is a fun place. It's a blessing to be in a playground. But the fence around it just simply offers a little more protection, if you will. So if you're close to a street, it keeps Sally and Junior kind of pinned in. Not only that, but it could also keep the predators out. So a playground is a fun a place. So think of it like this. The playground is God's love, His grace, His blessings. The fence is God's law calling us to holy living. And God comes to us in both. Let me demonstrate it for you again. How many of you guys in here love Brussels sprouts? Come on, can anybody give it up for Brussels sprouts in the house? Three of you. How many of you guys in the house love cotton candy? Come on, give it up for cotton candy. Yes, like 10 of you on that one. There you go. So when you're talking about grace and truth, it's Brussels sprouts and cotton candy. What do I mean by that? Brussels sprouts, it's like the truth. It's good for you. Your body needs it. It needs the nutrients. But most of the time, it's not good. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. But you got to have it for the nutrients. Cotton candy is like grace, man. It's all sweet. It's good. It's amazing. But it will rot your teeth. Amen? So you've got to have both Brussels sprouts and cotton candy. And it took me two hours to come up with that. So give God a big hand, God, of praise. Brussels sprouts, cotton candy. Grace and truth. We've got to come to each other in grace and truth. Why? Because Jesus modeled it. Here's the second reason why it's so important we, we come to someone we love when they do something that's not right because love commands it. Love commands it. We find this in Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but it does what? It rejoices in the truth. And I love the Apostle Paul, when he's writing these letters to the Corinthian church, he, he wrote two letters, First and Second Corinthians. And if you look at these letters and read them, you'll discover that First Corinthians was, was a hard-hitting letter. It's on how to deal with sin in the church, and it, it, he, he held no punches. Second Corinthians is a little softer letter, but both of them came out of his love. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, what does it say? It says, I wrote the letter in great anguish. Hey, when I wrote that first letter, I, I wasn't doing it in a happy way. I wrote it in great anguish which with a troubled heart and many tears. And I don't want you to grieve, I don't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much love I had for you. The reason why I wrote that first letter was because I love you. But he would go on later in that letter in chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. Watch what he says. He says, I'm not sorry that I sent, watch the wording here, that severe letter to you. 
Like I know it was tough. I know it was it was Brussels sprouts, man. That's what I sent you. I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was not sorry at first, for I knew that it was painful for you for a little while. But now I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to do something. It caused you to repent and to change your ways. And it was the kind of sorrow that God wants His people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. Paul said, guys, listen, it was a hard letter to write on that first hand. But listen, I'm not sorry I wrote it because, because I love you so much. I had to tell you the truth. I had to confront what was going on. And because of that, it caused you to come back to God. And so you've got to understand when it comes to, to getting involved in the situation, the reason why you do it is because you love the person. You love them. I told my kids the other day, I was telling some of our guest service ladies out there in the foyer, when you look at the Ten Commandments, come on, how many of you remember the Ten Commandments like God's top ten? The Ten Commandments, there's, there's actually four commandments that, that, that death is attached to it. Okay, so it was, it was adultery, you die. Not only that, but it was murder. Okay, if you do that, you die. Here's the third one, one that we oftentimes overlook, but is so important, and that is the Sabbath. If you break the Sabbath, if you broke that day of rest, you die. Here's the fourth one, disobedience to parents. Told my kids the other day, I said, buddy, listen to me. I said, if we went to Old Testament, you'd be dead right now. You need to thank God right now. Thank God. Amen? Now, I'm not just, not just dis, you know, uh, continual to be. Don't threaten your kids like that. Amen? So anyway, but you do that. Why? Because you love them. You love them, you care for them, and you want a great life for them. And so, therefore, sometimes you've got to confront things. And it's not hard. Oh, excuse me, it's not easy. It's hard to, to go to them and tell them these things, but you do it out of love. So, Jesus modeled it. Love commands it. Here's the third why, if you will, because eternity demands it. Eternity demands it. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. If someone's headed down a wrong path away from God and, and you're willing to come in and speak the right words and grace and truth and, and, and you bring it to them in the process, you may very well save that person from death. And you understand, James is not talking about physical death. He's talking about an eternal death, a separation from God, if you will. And so therefore, it's so important to realize, man, that person's soul may be hanging in the balance and you are the one that can go in there and confront that in the right way. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. You confront it in the right way and in doing so, you change that person's whole life. So you understand that we are on a mission today as God's people, a mission to go fishing, a mission to go into all the world, a mission to empty hell and populate heaven. That is the mission we've been given as God's people. And it is demanded of us to step out into this world and tell somebody about the love of Jesus Christ. We're called to do that. And we have to be willing to do it in grace and truth. Jesus modeled it. Love calls for it. Eternity demands it. And you may be asking the question, well, what if they don't listen? What if they get mad with me? What if they reject what I'm saying? Listen, there's a risk that's going to happen. There's a risk there. Some of you already know what that feels like. 
Some of you maybe have confronted a family member, you've confronted a friend, and as a result, it didn't go the way you thought it would go. And now you're rejected. But hear me today, there's a principle that you've got to understand. I must care more about their eternal destiny than their relationship with me. I must care more about their eternal destiny than their relationship with me. Why? Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we have to be willing to confront it. But here's the question. I want to change gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the how. How do we confront it? How do we confront it and come to them in grace and truth? With that being said, you remember Dave and Nate. Let's, let's kind of go back to the story in the Bible. And it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, chapter 12. And let's kind of eavesdrop on what's happening there. So how do I come to someone in grace and truth? Now I know, I, I know the why behind it. But how do I come to them? Here's the first one. If you've taken notes, write this down. First thing you got to do is be clear about the issue. Be clear about the issue. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27. The Lord was very displeased with what David had done. Listen. What David did was sin, straight up sin. He was wrong. There was no gray area there. He messed up. He dropped the ball. He did wrong. It was sin. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to ask yourself, before I go to someone, you've got to ask yourself this. Is what they're doing unbiblical or is it just something I don't like? A lot of times we want to go to somebody and confront somebody because they're doing something we don't like. Who cares? Amen. Is it unbiblical? You've got to get the issues right. Is it right or is it wrong? That's the first thing you've got to do. Here's the second thing you've got to be willing to do. Ask God if you're the one to address it. Are you even the one to go to Him? You've got to ask God. Don't just go in there like a bull in a china shop, man. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. So the Lord did what? He sent Nathan the prophet. God didn't go to David in a dream. He didn't speak to him in an audible voice. He sent a person, and not just any person, the person that sensed God leading them to go. That's who he sent, the person who earned the right to speak to David. It was his best friend. And do you understand it wasn't easy for Nathan to go and confront this? It wasn't easy for Nathan to go and talk to them about this. But God told him to go. And hear me today. If you sense God is leading you, I believe there should always be a sense of reluctance. Because if you're looking forward to going confronting somebody, if you're looking forward to giving them a piece of your wine, come on, you're not ready to go. Amen? Have you ever known a human wrecking ball? Come on, don't point at them. Just lean very gently and humbly right now. Lean over and just say, you know. You know. Human wrecking ball. They believe it is their calling in life to speak the truth. And they don't care who they hurt. They don't care what it does. Bless God, I call it like I see it. You sure do. If you can't wait to get in somebody's face, you're not ready to go. Okay? Listen, the mandate on our life is never a license to go and wreck somebody's life with your tongue. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. 
So when you think of someone that, that is doing something and you love them and, and you recognize what's going on, before you go, you've got to ask yourself, what is it they're doing that I'm concerned about? What is it that's really triggering this in me? God, I don't, am I the one to go? You've got to get your motives and your heart right before you go. But then here's the third way that we go in grace and truth. We've got to address the issue in person. Let that hang. Address the issue in person. I'm going to get on social media. Everybody's going to know about this today. All us old folks, we on Facebook trying to figure it out. All the young folks are on Snapchat, Instagram, and they just moving forward and we're still in Facebook. Amen? That's just the way it is. Go to them in person. Nathan went to David privately. Again, this is something kind of Jesus modeled for us, if you will. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your fellow believer sins against you, go and tell him what? In public. Go and tell them on social media. Go and get all the, the saints in the church and say, man, we just need to intercede for so-and-so. Just really feel need to pray for them. No. Go to them in private. Tell them in private what he did wrong. If he listens to you, you have helped that person to be your brother or sister again. Don't send an email. Don't send a text. Don't even call them on the phone. If you call them on the phone, say, hey, man, I've been thinking about you. Can we do lunch? Do it in private. Do it in private. You don't gossip about people. Here's the next way. Be gentle and honest. Be gentle and honest. And when you look at, when you look at uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, Nathan didn't just go to David and start blasting him out. He didn't just go in there and say, man, you sorry, dude. You knew better. You shouldn't have done this. No, what did he say? He said, hey, David, man, can, can I get your perspective on something right quick? Watch how he unpacked this. He said, there's two guys, David, that lived in the same town. There was a rich guy and a, and a poor guy. The rich guy had all kinds of cattle and, and sheep and goats. And there was this poor guy, he had one sheep, man. And that sheep was like a pet. He, he, he ate at the table with him, kind of slept with him. It was, it was almost like what we call a dog, amen? It's, it's, it's like man's best friend. It's not a cat in Jesus' name. So it was like a, a sheep, that one sheep, and he loved him. But watch this. One day this traveler came to the rich man's house, and the rich man didn't take from his cattle, from his sheep. He, he took the poor man's. Took and had a barbecue. Cooked out. He said, hey, David, what do you, what do you think should happen to this guy? 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. Watch David's response. David was what? Furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed. Any man who would do such a thing deserves to what? Die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and having no pity. And, and it was at that moment, I want you to picture yourself. You, you're standing before your best friend. This, this is an issue that you know has happened and, and, and God has called you and directed you to be the one to talk to him in private about it. And here's the moment. Here's, here's the climax of the conversation. David, you're the man. You're the rich guy. 
You could have had anything in the kingdom, David, but you took Uriah's only wife and made her your own. Do you think that was an easy conversation for Nathan? This is an emotional issue, and sometimes that's where we get bogged down at, right? We, we go to the person, and we, we've got good intentions, and we want to be gentle, and we want to be humble, we want to be honest, but, but oftentimes we start the conversation, and, and when we don't sense it's going the way we want it to, then we get mad and upset, and we just, we give it to them. And that's not the way to do it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 lays out clearly, dear brothers and sisters, if any Christian is overcome by some sin, you are who you who are godly should what? Gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Gentle, honest, humble. You don't go to that person thinking that, well I'm better than them. No. This is a moment. This is, this, is a, this is a heavy issue moment. God has prepared the way for you to step into that, which leads us to the fifth way that you do this. And that is coming to the realization that you might not be able to fix this. You might not be able to fix it, okay? Because there's always consequences for our choices. So Nathan's here, he's confronting David, but watch, he also delivers the consequences of what he's done. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? This is Nathan talking to David. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword, watch this, will never depart from your house, David. Verse 11. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Hear me today, guys. I want you to hear my heart right here in this moment. God gives us freedom of choice, but never freedom of consequences. God gives us freedom of choice, but never freedom of consequences. You go to that person in love, but you also understand because of what they've done, you may not be able to help them out of that. Are there times where God can come in and deliver that person and there is no consequences? Absolutely. Absolutely He could do He's God. But most of the time, there's some consequences for the things and the actions that we have. And this is where we make the mistake. We come to them and we start feeling sorry for them. And, and, and man, they've done something terribly wrong. And, and you know there's some grave consequences for it. But, but because we're sorry for them, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Listen, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Are you sure? Because it may not be. And I think we do that person a disservice when we give them false hope. But here's what we got to do. Here it leads into the sixth way that we go to that person in grace and truth we got to pray that they'll be open and receptive wouldn't it be nice if every time we confronted somebody there's success at the other end of it some people are going to get defensive other people are going to counterattack. some people are going to shut down they don't care what you say they're not you know it's, it's talk to the hand brother you know that's what they do to you but your hope and success always lies in God preparing the way, God softening the heart. And guess what? God oftentimes does that. 
So you pray that God will go before you by His Spirit. And, and, and again, here's Nathan, and, he, and he's telling David. He's like, David, man, you're the man. Here's the consequences. But watch David's reaction. And in verse 13, David said, man, I've sinned. It's, it's me. I've, I've sinned. And I love Nathan's response, which actually points out the seventh and final step on how to go someone in grace and truth, and it is assure them of God's forgiveness. Assure them of God's forgiveness. 2 Samuel 12, 13, Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. And what did he say? He said, man, you're not going to die for this. Hey, the sword's never going to depart from your home. There's going to be a lot of chaos, a lot of stuff. But hey, you're not going to die. God is in the restoring business. So our goal should always be restoration, not retribution. Let me say that again. Our goal should always be restoration, not retribution. Our goal is to help them, not beat them down, to bring them back, to restore their relationship with God. So be prepared. If God speaks to you and you've got a friend or a loved one and He speaks to you and, 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 and you go to them, they may respond as David did. Man, I'm, I'm sorry. God can never use me. He could, he could never do anything for me. You've got to be prepared to offer them God's grace. You've given them the truth, but now you're giving them God's grace. And you help them to put the pieces of their life back together. You don't leave them. A true friend doesn't leave them. They, they made a bad decision, yeah. But, but you come in and you help that person put their life back together. So let me just kind of wrap this up today. and Let me ask you just a question in closing. Maybe you're in here and, and maybe there's a scenario running in your mind right now. There's someone you know, a friend, loved one, whatever it may be in your life. And you know there's a situation and you've prayed about it and you sense that maybe God is leading you. Could you just simply pray this prayer this morning? Lord, give me courage. Give me love. Give me a right spirit. Give me the words to speak before I go. Could be someone in the church. Could be someone in your workplace. Could be someone in your family. God, give me the words to speak. You're on a path of destruction and you see it. And you got to ask yourself, could it be that they're still on the path because that, that path because no one loved them enough to go to them in grace and truth? Could it be that? Maybe the Lord is calling you to make a difference in somebody's life. Or Maybe you're on the path. And you're wondering, man, why did you bring me to church today of all days? It's because God just wanted to connect with you in grace, but yes, also in truth. God loves us. He cares for us. He's, he's loving. He's compassionate. There's, it's, it's the playground of life. There's also a fence that we cannot ignore. Defense is, is, is God's law. It's protecting us. It's caring for us. And so which one are you this morning? Or, or do you find yourself, God speaking to you, saying, hey, 
need you to go speak into this. Maybe you're in here and you're actually the one. Maybe you're like Dave. Just trying to cover some stuff up. Or maybe you're neither one right now. But I guarantee you at some point in your life, God's going to call you to this. To confront someone in grace and in truth. Stand with me all over the house. of God. Come on, how many of you are thankful for cotton candy? Amen. You're thankful for the grace of God. One of the great things about that grace is on a constant basis, we see people giving their heart to the Lord around here and going all in for Jesus. And so one of the things that, that, that we've got in place is something called next steps. And so if you've given your heart to the Lord or your next step would simply be to be baptized. And so on February the 21st, right here, we're going to have a baptismal service. And if that's you and you say, man, I'm, I'm interested in that, then we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. I was talking with a young man this morning. I was like, hey, man, February 21st is coming. He's like, dude, I'm all in. I looked at, I'm going to just speak it because I think it's going to happen pretty soon. I I looked at what will be his fiance, and I said, do you want to baptize him? And he looked at me, he said, Pastor, no, no, she won't let me back up. So I promise you we will pull you back up pretty quick, <clears throat> but it's your next step. It's going public with your faith. You know what baptism is? It's, it's, it's the wedding band. It's the wedding band. When you're married, this, listen, this does not make me married. Okay, I can wear it or not wear it. Doesn't make me married. What makes me married to the most amazing woman in the world? What makes me married is Missy and I stood at an altar and we said our vows and we she pledged her love for me forever and ever and ever and I did for her and we did that. That married us. This right here seals the deal. That's what baptism is. It's the wedding band. It seals the deal, if you will. And so if you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to go online and sign up for baptism service February 21st. So bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, we love you. And we thank you for moments like this. Pretty hard message, Lord, absolutely. Anytime you talk about grace and couple it with truth, it's not an easy message, Lord. We really like to just stay on the playground and not deal with the fence, but God, the reality is we've got to deal with the fence. We've got to deal with the Brussels sprouts, Lord. And Father, some of us in here today, we find ourselves in a place needing grace. We've slipped up. We've done wrong things. We've gone down the wrong path. And we need grace. 
And Father, you are there to offer that grace. And so right now, if you're in the house today and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, let me tell you something. Today is your day. God didn't just get you all dressed up and prettied up just to come in here just to say, well, I did church today. No, God brought you here for a reason to connect with you. To connect with you. And one of those connections is to say, hey, I need you to come on home. I need you to come on home. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, regardless of the path you even find yourself on right now, God's word to you is, hey, I need you to come home. I've got great things for you. I've got plans and purposes for your life. So if that describes you right here, we're not here to embarrass you, but if that describes you, could you slip a hand and say, Pastor, I'm ready to go all in. I'm ready to go all in. Today is the day I want to receive Him as my Lord and my Savior. I'm ready to go. Maybe you've come in here today and let's just be honest. Again, maybe you're the one that needs that grace. You've had some truth kind of kind of stepping on your toes a little bit today and, 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 and you've been confronted with some things and, and so maybe you need the grace. And if that's you, could you just slip a hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. I need some help. God sees the hand. Sees the hand. I need some help. Maybe you're in here today and you sense during this, this message that God is leading you to be the one to maybe go confront a loved one or a co-worker or a friend. If that's you, could you slip a hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need some help right now. Seize the hands. Seize the hands in the house. Let's pray. Father, thank you for moments like this. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for modeling for us grace and truth. Thank you, Lord, for giving us everything that we have right now. The very air we breathe comes from you. Jesus, thank you for these moments. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this time. And God, right now, there are people in the house today, Lord, myself included, we need your grace, Lord. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness and your love and your kindness and your compassion. We we need the grace, God. But Lord, there are some in here today that, that, that actually may even need some truth, God. And so, Father, speak the truth into their lives. Speak the truth into their hearts. And, God, there's some people in here, Lord, that I believe you're speaking to right now, that you're raising up, that maybe in the next week or two, that would have these conversations with individuals. Holy Spirit, we pray you would go ahead of them. We pray you would go ahead of them. Soften the hearts of the individuals that they're going to be talking with. Lord, let them do it the right way. Let them go into that place. And Father, my prayer is that that person, those people would be restored back into your grace and your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said amen.